So let me paint the scene for you. You imagine a TV show from when you were younger, something nostalgic and a little walk down memory lane, but there's something disturbing about it. It's not just a normal show, by the way, a fairly creepy one. And you realize that you're pretty much the only one who could ever see it. That's right. Nobody remembers the show, but you. Sounds like being an anime fan in Nashville. Okay. <laughs> Describing my childhood and the media I consumed. But you're telling me this is a show that quite literally nobody even remembers existing. You've got that right. Enter Candle Cove, a show about Pirate Percy and his seamates. I love pirates. I'm so excited. <laughs> We're going in the pirate direction. Don't read the story in the dark, guys. Or I guess in your case, don't listen. I think this is going to be a spooky one. Welcome to Internet Urban Legends, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Loey, your evidence expert, uh, number one pirate Percy Stan, who's so excited to talk about today's episode. And I am Eleanor, your stubborn skeptic. I Today I'll be pirate Percy. Hook, <laughs> uh, hat, feather. I actually don't know what he looks like. Does anybody? <laughs> No, I love it. You're literally Pirate Percy in my head. That's just us. Pirate Percy is number one Stan Lowy Lane. Together, we are the Gruesome Twosome, and this is Internet Urban Legends, where we dive deep into the darkest corners of the internet. We might find the answers we're looking for, might scare ourselves into staying up all night. Uh, we're glad to have you guys on our ship as our crew. Ahoy, matey. I feel like we're riding like Pirates of the Caribbean, right? We're just one big, it always relates back to Disney. Oh, you hate to hear it. One big ride vehicle. Today's episode is really special. Eleanor can attest to this, but this is something that I have been so excited for. I think since the podcast started, this was my very first dream episode, my very first request to get someone else on our podcast, because I think that what we're talking about today, Candle Cove, is what really inspired me to get into horror. And today we have an extremely special guest, the author of Candle Cove himself. Chris Straub. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. I think that this was honestly a story that like really got me into creepypasta in general, online horror in general. I don't know, it just like really engrossed me in this space. By the way, for any of you who are out there who might be Gen Z or just don't really read creepypasta, basically it's like a term for scary stories on the internet, usually scary short stories that are on the internet. We have a lot of different like verbiage, I guess, for uh, storytelling on the internet. Some people refer to anything that's being made out to be real as an alternate reality game or an ARG. Some people would call everything a creepypasta. This is like the original internet urban legend, basically. 
But Candle Cove is basically a TV show from the 70s that very, very few people remember. I think that it was a little bit easier to get on TV in general. A few decades ago, there were so many like, you didn't have a cable box, right? You had like access to local television. That's probably true. To be honest, I had never really considered TV in the 70s. I did go to film school, know a lot about media, knew it came out in the 50s, but like TV to me did not really begin until I began to, 1996. That makes sense because TV as we know it did not begin until we began. But like the idea of TV several decades ago is so different from now. You could rent space on any local channel. I mean, the same way that you'd really rent a billboard, if I'm understanding correctly. So it makes sense that there would be this show that few people remember. However, once you get into the details of Candle Cove, the story gets a little bit muddy. The main character of the show is named Pirate Percy, and there are very limited details online available. That makes sense because it's been like 50 years (laughs) since it would have come out, but it's a little weirder than you might think. People took to online forums to find others who might remember what it's called. So as online strangers begin to discuss the story, they start to remember more and more details, more and more characters. One in particular that really freaked them out was the skin taker, whose famous line when asked, why does your mouth move like that? Would answer, to grind your skin. The more that the people in these online forums chat, the more that they realize that their details about the story of this show, while vague, are lining up together. They remember largely the same plot, and while you know details about the characters might be uh, somewhat few and far between, they all know that it was a show with puppets that was fairly creepy as a children's television show. This is the most bare bones I can get of Candle Cove, baby. I implore every single one of you listening to this episode, especially after we're going to have our chat after the break with our friend and author, Chris Straub, who is so patiently listening to us chitter chat about his work. Listen, you've got to go read the story for yourself. There's something to be said about your first read through of Candle Cove and like the absolute like despair that it plunges you into where you're like, oh, God. And especially with, spoiler alert, a little twist at the end, um, where as everyone's chatting about the show more and more, they're talking through the details. However, one of the people realizes that when he told his mom about the show, just like, hey, mom, I've been thinking about this old nostalgic show. I I can't remember these details. Do you remember seeing it? Was it as disturbing as I'm thinking it was? She replied, in surprise, saying that she couldn't believe he remembered the show because when she would turn it on for him, it was simply static on a TV screen. So Candle Cove, the story, these forum messages started going so incredibly viral. People all over the web didn't know, could it be real? Could it be fake? While it was hosted on a creepypasta website and had credits to the author, Chris Straub, people still were not convinced. They were like, wait, maybe I remember details about Candle Cove. And it just kept going more and more and more viral with more and more and more added on to it. And then in October of 2016, Channel Zero premiered. Now, this was a show on sci-fi that was based on creepypastas, and they used Candle Cove for its first season. 
It was about a child psychologist named Mike who remembers a 1980s children's show that no one else remembers. He thinks it might have played a role in the disappearance of his twin brother, and he returns home to investigate. So this, of course, confirms that Candle Cove itself is a work of fiction and that it is kind of a viral, scary story across the internet that we've talked about so many times. However, even though this is like a fictional story, I don't think it takes away from how scary and sort of real that this situation could potentially be. I mean, think back to like some of the weird TV shows that you watched when you were a kid. And imagine if like somebody told you that it never really existed. It is kind of real. You know, like you're saying, I think people, obviously this was, you know, initially written as a creepypasta. We're about to have the author on. We know this is a work of fiction. Candle Cove is very famous. But when it was maybe a little bit less famous and it was being posted around to different sites and people didn't realize that this was a work of fiction. It is told in the format of, you know, like a blog post, essentially, people chatting back and forth. I would imagine it really did convince some people legitimately, not in a horror way, not in, you know, like getting caught up in the story, that they had also seen this weird puppeteering, pirate-based, skin-chewing program on their TV. Like you said, there was some weird stuff we watched when we were growing up and our memory doesn't always serve us the best. So in a way, was Candle Cove a real program? Maybe not. But were there like an amalgamation of really, really, really weird programs that kids have now started? Well, I guess they're not kids anymore. Former children have started attributing to Candle Cove. I think that kind of makes it real in a way. Like people are actually remembering this thing that never existed. You know, there's something to be said about like the idea of the Mandela effect and uh, (laughs) the fact that we're having this conversation and it's like, is this literally what the Mandela effect is? We don't have quite enough time for that today. We truly don't. However, we have more than enough time to dive into the details of Candle Cove. Was there anything real that inspired it? How true could the story be? And how did Chris Straub come up with the horrors behind something that feels so real to so many people? Up next, we're going to dive deep into the evidence and talk to Chris Straub himself to find out where this viral scary story came from. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. We have established that Candle Cove is a creepypasta written by author Chris Straub as part of his Icker Falls collection. And I have a surprise for all of you, mostly myself. Chris is here with us today. Hello, each of you. This is exciting. I love creepypastas and I feel like creepypasta authors are like these shadowy figures. (laughs) The curtains never pulled back. We like we somehow never see the wizard. So it's exciting to talk to somebody that obviously has written a creepypasta that is as successful and omnipresent as Candle Cove has been. This is where the part where I have to act like or not have to act. I don't want to act bizarre or peculiar or mysterious because I want it, people understand that these are accessible human beings that are, they're real. They had an idea that they thought was scary 
and they wanted to share it. And a lot of them did. You know, for me, like I said, Candle Cove was really uh, my introduction to online horror, which I, of course, now have such an affinity for to the point where it's the basis of my YouTube channel, the basis of a podcast that I've created with my best friend. And I think that what is so incredible about this story in particular, and I guess I'll have to ask you, like, for me, I took away from it that this was totally plausible. This was like something that could have happened probably did happen in some regard. It just got me thinking about so many things from my own childhood, so many weird TV shows and memories that I had where I started to almost like question my own reality, I guess. And I think that that's such like a a herald of a good story where it makes you question yourself, makes you question like your own past or experiences that you've had, which was really cool for me. But I, I am so curious, you know, Eleanor asked earlier, have people taken away that they do think Candle Cove is real to this day? Have they added on to it in any capacity or remembered maybe phantom details? I think where the story is successful is that I wrote it so vaguely and there really is not a lot of detail except for, you know, character names, what the puppets looked like, um, and then the screaming episode. But I think that in being vague, people thought, I actually remember something like that. Because I think at that point, everybody had seen like old kids shows from the 70s, 80s, where it's like, this is low budget and it's scary. I don't know who actually sat and watched them and enjoyed them, but you'd see them flipping around and then flip past it immediately. And I think a lot of people used that vagueness and incorporated it into their own childhood and thought, I think I did see that actually. Chris, when you were a kid, did this did this come from like personal experience for you? Did you ever have one of those moments or those kinds of memories where you haven't quite been able to play something that you personally saw? I have a couple that are like, uh, the thing that launched me into wanting to write it in the first place was actually an Onion article. Amazing. <laughs> I think the title of it was um, like Area Man Still Has Occasional Lidsville Nightmares. Lidsville, so Sid and Marty Croft, this is before my time. I'm 42. I wouldn't have encountered this stuff unless it was some weird rerun, some small channel, which is where I did see it when I was a kid. But Sid and Marty Croft did these shows that were like, they're four children, but the technology just did not catch up with the with the imagination that they had. So there is a lot of bad puppetry, a lot of weird editing. There, This was a new art form. They were figuring stuff out. They're very creative, but it's scary to look at. And uh, so I had seen some of that and encountered some of it on... KLCS Channel 58 in uh, Los Angeles. I think it's in the high desert, but it was sort of the the lesser PBS to KCET Channel 28. And all they showed was old film strips and stuff like that. And so the one for me, if you want to um, dive into what scared me as a kid, it was a show called Inside Out. And it was on, uh, I believe it was a film strip. It was an educational series that was designed, I believe, to be shown in the classroom and lead a conversation 
with your class. It needed a teacher to stand in front of it and say, okay, what do we think about what we just saw? Because there was always a scenario like a bully or, you know, an argument and it's time to unpack it as a class and discuss it. It was shown on television midday though. It ended up there and I would watch it as a, you know, nine-year-old, 10-year-old and the episode would show the confrontation, whatever the thing was, and then it would end and it was over. Credits. Nothing resolved. <laughs> yeah, the resolution comes from the conversation in the class, but there was none. Right. And it was like, why would you show me this? <laughs> I mean, that'll get you. I listen, I love hearing about what disturbed kids as kids. I think it's kind of funny. Uh, and across the board, it really just runs the gamut of a little bit of everything is going to scare at least like one child. When you actually mentioned Inside Out uh, that it was educational, I immediately assumed it was some kind of like anatomy video. And I know something like that would have definitely freaked me out as a kid. Oh, 100%. When you initially wrote Candle Cove, did you anticipate being the public author from the start? Was that always the plan or did that sort of come later? I had a website where it was like sort of community short horror because I had let people submit and we were trying to embellish this town, Icker Falls in West Virginia and just short stories about what's going on there. Why is it not good? And it was basically my, I wanted to do this, like I wanted to make Silent Hill uh, it's like a foggy town that's bad. And one of the stories was Candle Cove that I put there. So none of it was supposed to be, uh, at the time I didn't know it was going to be copied and pasted. Mm -hmm. It was creepied and pasted to other websites. <laughs> it was creepied and pasted. That's true. I guess it, people who read it, it wasn't hosted on your site for the most part. Yeah. Or like by you, really. Yeah. And so it was sort of... Um, without my permission and i was a little bit i was mad like as a creator or rather as an artist i understand that it has a lot more power if you think that it's real it's scary to think about you're encountering this and like is this actually a forum that people talked about this and had multiple people had the same experience but as a business person as a person who wants credit i thought why did i why do you have to take my name off of it isn't it still scary right when you go to a scary movie and it ends and then the credits start to roll do you go ah come on that broke the whole thing this is a, a movie what is this people made this that does make so much sense though that like of course it was creepy and posted all over the internet because i'm sure that when i read it I remember, like, I probably read it on the Creepypasta wiki. I had no idea of your involvement with it, actually, until I discovered your other work, Chris, especially Local 58. That's got to be weird. And I, I think maybe the internet is a bit better with stuff like that now, I hope. There was a period on the internet where curation was seen as equal to creation. And I'm not upset about people sharing things, but I think that there was an excitement a status when you shared the thing that's cool and you want to share it and you want to be the proliferator of it and somehow somebody else's name on it got in the way of that so people would they'd go out of their way to trim that off it's like it's scarier if it comes from the ether who knows who made it and i don't think that it's scarier that way i think it can have more of an impact if you don't know where it came from for sure 
I don't think it's scarier that way at all. I think that so, you know, obviously our podcast is dedicated to unveiling internet mysteries, internet creepy things. And the fun always comes in when we can find, oh, this was something written by someone else. Or, oh, this TikTok series is clearly a work of fiction because of this and this and this. It doesn't take away from the impact. It doesn't take away that it was scary or, you know, that the art was meaningful. It just, it gives us answers. It kind of gives us like closure. I don't know. I'll go the other way with it. I think so, like, verisimilitude is where more fear can come from, right? Like, I had the good fortune of seeing um, Blair Witch Project, um, not in the theater, but my friend had somehow gotten a hold of a recording of it, and this was when it was in the theaters, and it was a bootleg, but it was a good one. It was good quality. So we watched it on his laptop, and I remember thinking it has so much more impact because of the way in which we were consuming it. It was though as though we found it. Oh, yeah. There was no movie end and we throw our popcorn away and we're leaving the theater. It's like, no, close the laptop. What do we think of what we just saw? I understand that that adds a lot <laughs> to the experience. I do have one last question um, before we let you go. Do you have like a favorite piece of specifically horror media or anything that you've worked on that you think is like your favorite, your baby, out of everything that you've worked on before, barring, you know, anything that could be upcoming, do you have like a favorite that, you know, this is it. This is my favorite horror baby. <laughs> Gosh, um, I will say like, I didn't expect it to be like, I don't, the first one that comes to mind is like, I don't know how I can top the local 58 episode the second one contingency because it's very upsetting it's not in a way that like as i was making it i thought oh there's there's no way out of this it's the worst i have to make it but i don't know how to make anything scarier than that like to have the government tell you this thing that they believe is a good idea and without spoiling it a lot of people in the comments would say, well, I simply would refuse. And it's like, I know, I would also refuse. Of course, you're not going to do it. The problem is that apparently the government spent a lot of money in that this is a good idea you should do. And they actually thought this was the best course of action. And obviously it is not. So I think a lot of, a lot of that theme of distrust of authority or like unquestionable authority, especially being presented with that when you're a kid, and you have no other, you know, knowledge of who to trust or not. I think that makes for super effective horror. I personally always prefer when horror is based in reality more. I do like the paranormal stuff, obviously, but that fear of, you know, that like inherent distrust of the government or fear of authority, those are such real visceral fears that people have. So to have them exacerbated by a story, I personally find that scarier than like the ghostly jump scares. Well, we are so excited we got to have you on. I can finally stop begging our writers to let us do our Candle Cove episode. Um, Chris, where can people find you all over the web? I have a hub site that's chrisdraub.com. But for this specifically, I have an ongoing, I don't want to say ARG. It sort of has those elements, but it was more a way of, of sharing, you know, more of the lore of Local 58. That's local58.tv. That's going on right now. 
thank you so much for chatting with us about all things Candle Cove, all things horror. And thank you for uh, kind of being my first ever internet urban legend with Candle Cove. I couldn't be happier with the result. (laughs) I know I said this once already, but this... (laughs) I'm such a nostalgic little goober. Like... I could not believe that we had the opportunity to speak to Chris. I've met him once before. And even then, I was just so deeply starstruck and so excited to to talk to him. And during this podcast, being able to like pick his brain about what makes good and effective horror and what he finds so scary. Mm-hmm. He's one of like the greats. This was so cool. He's kind of like the Stephen King of like online horror, right? Like one of the OGs. It's like meeting um, J.K. Rowling, but not problematic or like George R. R. Martin, but he finishes his work. So best of all worlds. <laughs> this was really, really cool. I love having people on the pod. Me too. And I think that Chris, he's one of those people kind of like J.K. Rowling who just has this incredible world building. You know, prior to doing a bit more research for this podcast, I wasn't aware of the Icker Falls and the the sort of like little town that these horrors belong to. But that degree of world building, knowing that that place exists in your head and just writing these these horrors to live within it is so cool and such like a unique thing to possess. I think that for me, Candle Cove was one of the very first creepypastas I ever read, if not the very, very, very first. But it certainly was the one that got me excited about horror, got me like into the genre, Um, but especially online horror. And it's crazy to sort of like (laughs) reflect on it, reflect on how it's influenced so many other pieces of horror and even probably some fictional stuff that we talk about on this podcast to this day. Oh, for sure. I mean, it really is one of like the OG creepy pastas that have informed, like you said, just I'm sure thousands of pieces of media uh, surrounding horror and creepy little small towns and things no one quite remembers. Maybe not the first, but certainly one of the most famous, especially for our generation. Do we think that we have any memories even somewhat similar to Candle Cove? Because I don't off the top of my head, but I do definitely know. I watched some weird shows when I was a kid that like if you told me now that they were never real, I probably would believe you. Cat dog. A cat and a dog as a little hot dog? Like, no. I don't think I have any specific experiences, but I feel similarly where I like I remember being a kid and multiple times being like, this is weird. Like, maybe I shouldn't be watching this. <laughs> right. Like, this is kind of freaking me out. And obviously, to this day, I don't remember exactly what I watched. And I think that kind of speaks to the power of something like Candle Cove. When you're watching these scary things as a kid, you do sort of repress them. You also, you know, your memory gets worse as you get older. So if you read something like this that's just vague enough, you really can start to put in your own pieces and start to legitimately remember that you had the same experience. We want to know what you guys think. Have you read Candle Cove? Did you think it was real until this episode? Do you have a similar experience you can tell us all about? Let us know all over social media by using hashtag gruesome twosome. We would love to hear from you. For 
For now, thank you all so much for listening. And thank you once again to Chris Straub for guesting on this podcast episode. We are once again your hosts, Loie and Eleanor, also known as Gruesome Twosome. And we've loved this deep dive into the world of internet urban legends with all of you. You can find all episodes of the podcast, Internet Urban Legends, for free exclusively on Spotify. Don't forget to follow the podcast so we can continue bringing you a new disturbing mystery each and every week. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Loweybug and at Snitchery and support our show by following at Parcast on Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. Stay gruesome, friends. Internet Urban Legends is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler from Parcast slash management and by Deanna Markoff, Avi Gandhi, and Ed Simpson from Wheelhouse DNA. Sound design by Ron Shapiro with associate sound design by Mike Ramos. It is produced by Jonathan Ratliff, Gemma Waters, John Cohen, Kristen Acevedo, and Lexi Kiven. Research provided by Yumi Shin. And we're your hosts, Loie Lane and Eleanor, better known as Snitchery. AKA the gruesome twosome.